I guess I would say the main reason that I wrote this and the main lesson that I took away from this experience is how very difficult it is to fully understand how a learner, particularly an early learner, feels in, in the stressful situations that we create for them. And I, I think it's a wake up call for all of us to understand how fragile they can be. And they'll make every possible effort to hide that from us. It's a true honor to have Dr. Don Bordley as a guest on Mountain Lion today. I first met Dr. Bordley through the Association of Program Directors in Internal Medicine over 15 years ago. Don recently published an essay in Annals of Internal Medicine in their On Being a Doctor section, which I really, really enjoyed reading. And so I thought it would be really nice to have him come on to Mountain Lion and read it and to discuss it a little bit and share his thoughts about that essay. Don, could you give our listeners a thumbnail sketch of where you grew up, where you went to college, medical school, and residency, and maybe just the high points of your career, of which there are many, of course, in terms of the various roles you've been in? I was born and raised in Cooperstown, New York, uh, famous mainly because of it's the home of baseball and the Baseball Hall of Fame. I went to college at Yale and majored in English. And for a couple of years after graduating from college, I taught seventh, eighth, and ninth grade English. I then uh, decided to go back and, and go to medical school. I went to Johns Hopkins to medical school and then came for internal medicine residency to Strong Memorial Hospital at the University of Rochester. And I've been here ever since. My career at the U of R has been focused on medical education, uh, where I was, uh, among other things, the internal medicine clerkship director. And then for 15 years, I was the director of the internal medicine program, as well as vice chair for education. And after retiring from the program director position, I remained vice chair for six more years. At uh, the national level, as, as you mentioned, uh, you and I connected through AIM and APTM. I was both on the CDIM Council and on the APTM Council and was president of APTM a few years before yourself. And I seem to recall a number of years ago, perhaps it was over a beer, <laughs> you telling me a story about meeting Ty Cobb in Cooperstown when you were a very small fellow. My, my dad was on the board of trustees of the Hall of Fame. And in contrast to the elaborate celebration they have now back then, it was a very informal thing. And the people who were members of the Hall of Fame were, went to lunch at various board members' houses. So two or three people came to our house, one of which was Ty Cobb, um, and he invited me to sit on his knee while, while he was having his lunch. So I sat on Ty Cobb's knee, little realizing, actually, even though he seemed like a very gentle old man to me, he was one of the most ruthless players in baseball, from what I hear. Now, I know we're going to hear a bit about one of your favorite post-retirement hobbies today as you read your recently published Annals essay, but... Other than the guitar, what avocations have you been pursuing since retiring? 
mainly uh, outdoor activities of all types, depending on the season. My wife and I, uh, my wife is also an internist and retired at the same time I did. We, we walk about or hike about six miles a day. In the winter, we substitute snowshoeing uh, for that. Uh, and then I cycle uh, uh, as well. Um, we, a big part of our plan for retirement was active travel. That's kind of been put on hold at the moment. Last year, we were able to take a hiking trip in Scotland. Uh, and then uh, I also read all kinds of books all the time. I both both fiction and nonfiction. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there is life after medicine, it sounds like, even in the COVID age. Absolutely. Okay, so Don, I'm going to ask you to read some of your essay now. We won't go, run all the way through it because I think there's a few logical pause points to discuss some of what you've written. Um, so why don't you read the first three paragraphs and then we'll pause. Uh, so the title is Three Not-So-Easy Pieces. A short time before I retired 18 months ago, I decided to resume an old activity long neglected. In high school and college, I had played acoustic guitar, folk music, and blues. I was self-taught and played by ear. I thought that returning to the guitar would exercise a part of my brain that was long unused and helped keep me occupied and youthful in retirement. I was unprepared for the terror that lay ahead and the 45-year journey back to medical school it would trigger. My university's school of music has a branch devoted to teaching members of the local community. There I found a gifted and patient teacher. My original intent had been to return to the same kind of music I had played before. However, as I listened to my teacher play, I was drawn to classical guitar. A new guitar, daily practice, and weekly lessons under her gentle and supportive guidance followed. For more than a year, the only living beings who heard me play were my wife, my dog, and my teacher. Playing for my teacher during my lessons was a bit scary, leading to mistakes I did not make at home. After about six months, my teacher began suggesting that I play at a recital of guitar students from the community school. Recital participants included children and adults of varying abilities, supported by an audience of parents, family members, and friends. I decided this was something I could manage. Finally, a little over a year after I began learning classical guitar, a recital where I could perform was scheduled. My teacher and I selected three easy pieces, each no more than a minute or two in length, that I had been working on for some time. At home, and even during a lesson, I could play all three with almost no mistakes. Well, I have to say, um, and I have to confess that I'm both impressed and very jealous that in your youth you were able to teach yourself to play the guitar and by ear no less. Um, so you're, are you telling me you, over those years, those early years of your guitar playing, you could not read music or that it was just easier to learn and play by ear? The basic guitar accompaniment for folk and blues songs is, is actually pretty simple. 
because the primary voice belongs to the singer and the songs are all about the lyrics. So all the guitar is there for is, is background. And the chord progressions for folk and blues songs are fairly straightforward. Um, each song usually only has about three or four chords. So, so I learned the chord progressions for commonly used keys and then I would add some finger picking that I picked up from some of my friends. I did have a basic understanding of reading music because I was in choir and glee club, but, but I never used, I never read music while I was playing the guitar. Well, that's fascinating. Um, so were you, did you play in any bands in those days? I had a very close friend, still one of my closest friends, who was a was and is an exceptional musician and uh, already when we were in high school he played 10 or 12 different instruments so the only band as it were that i played in was he and i played together uh, duets either both of us playing guitar or uh, i would play the guitar and he would play the banjo and we would sing I usually sang the lead and he would sing the harmony. He, he, he was just amazing. I mean, he, he could, we'd do a song and he'd create tight harmonies like uh, the Everly Brothers or that sort of music. It was a, such a privilege to work with him. And much of what I learned, I learned from him. Huh. And did you keep up on the guitar during the nearly 37 years of your career in medicine? Not much. Uh, for time reasons, for not being in the company of people who I could play with so much. I had played for my kids from time to time and, you know, kind of the sing around the campfire sort of thing, but uh, nothing much. Okay. And I'm curious to know, when you started learning the classical guitar with your teacher uh, over a year ago, did you... Are you doing that by reading the music, or are you still doing it mostly by ear? And I'd be curious to know what your teacher wants you to do in this regard as well. So with classical guitar, in contrast to the folk music that I, as I talked about earlier, uh, the primary voice is the instrument. So it, I absolutely have to read the music as the composer wrote it, which is... Uh, new experience. And Lynn, um, Lynn that, that's my teacher. She, she's the, my teacher at the Eastman Community Music School, Lynn McGrath. Um, she's teaching me how to read music for guitar as well as the many other technical skills required to make good music. It's very, very challenging, but really uh, I think has been a, a wonderful experience for me to develop new skills and draw on different parts of my brain. And this is going to seem like a ridiculous question, but I have to ask it. I seem to recall on your holiday card that you send to us, to my wife and I, that uh, you have a dog. At least there's a dog on your Christmas card or holiday card. And it, I think it's a Welsh corgi, if I remember correctly, because I grew up with Welsh corgis uh, that my parents had. And I was wondering if you've gotten any sense of what she thinks of your guitar playing, or is she completely neutral about it? Actually, Pippin, that's her name, she, she's quite excited about guitar playing. And 
whenever I say, let's go play the guitar, she comes with me into the room where I have my practice equipment set up and sits in the room with me while I play. Although there's also a window in the room and if a dog passes by the window, she that becomes more important than listening to me play the guitar. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great image, Corgi listening to you play. Um, so you've created some suspense now leading up to your guitar recital, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more. So why don't you continue for the next couple of paragraphs? When the evening of the recital arrived, I was completely unprepared for the absolute terror I felt. As I tried to warm up, my hands shook so violently that I had trouble finding strings and frets. I remember almost nothing of my actual performance except that my hands continued to shake and I made multiple mistakes. The audience cheered and applauded. Other students patted me on the back as I returned to my seat. After the recital was over, my teacher congratulated me for playing so well. She reminded me that it was my first time before an audience and promised that with time and practice, it would get easier. In the days that followed, I tried to think of the last time I had experienced terror of similar magnitude. I had to go back more than 45 years to my first bedside oral patient presentation to an attending during my third year internal medicine clerkship. My kind and supportive senior resident had helped me prepare and urged me to give my presentation to myself in the mirror before coming in that morning. I followed his advice and felt that I was well prepared. However, when we arrived at the bedside, I was terrified. My hands shook, my voice quavered, and my face felt hot. I lost my place and stumbled through, leaving out important information that the attending extracted from me after I finished. I drifted through the rest of rounds in a fog of embarrassment demoralized and shaken. After we finished and the attending had left, my resident, interns, and the other student on my team congratulated me for presenting so well on my first try. The attending never spoke to me about my presentation. Though I was gratified by the support of the rest of my team, I wondered whether my attending was as disappointed as I was. I have to say that is quite a juxtaposition, namely your um, guitar recital and your first bedside presentation during your internal medicine clerkship. And I was wondering if you could expand on what you think are the similarities and differences between those two experiences. Well, the, the similarities for me are, in both cases, going into sort of the last minute, I thought I was well prepared so that when I realized how terrified and panicked I was and how my hands, in both cases, my hands were shaking, uh, I, I was completely unprepared for that. So I was sort of paralyzed. And, and also similar, I have almost no memory in both cases of what I actually did or said. I was very embarrassed and frustrated in both cases, but, but I also did have support from from colleagues at my level in in both cases. So my team in the hospital and the other students um, and families at, at the recital. 
So those were all similar experiences, and the emotional feeling was very similar. The, the distress and the loss of control. The differences were primarily the differences between the two teachers. Lynn, as my guitar teacher, went to great pains to take me aside after the concert was over and tell me how good she thought I how good she thought I had done and how it would get easier with time and not to worry and and she reinforced that at my next lesson and so forth my attending as a third year student as i mentioned in the in the piece he never said anything about it at the time or later on i honestly felt like it would have been better if he'd taken me aside and said, man, that was terrible. At, at least I would have known where I stood with it, you know. So, so that, those, those are the important differences. And I know it was a long time ago that you did that first presentation on the internal medicine wards, but um, do you happen to remember if you had to recite the presentation from memory? Yes, yeah, I definitely did. That was kind of, that was why my resident said, you know, make the presentation to yourself in the mirror in the morning before you come in. Uh, so I remember very vividly that I had to have it memorized. I see. Huh. So I, sort of on the long road to becoming physicians, we all have these very indelible experiences and memories over the years. Um, some of them are good and some of them are bad, but some of them are scarring. Was this first presentation scarring, or was it just sort of a, a bump in the road? Or how do you look back on that? I would not say that it was a scarring experience that I carried with me. It was definitely at the time very confusing and humbling. I I think what kept it from being more damaging was the support of my team at the time and their communication not in so many words but in in as we worked together over time that it was more the attendings problem than my problem so i would say not not a scarring experience a, def, a definite bump in the road and a setback in my confidence uh, but but not not damaging i i would say just the sort of hard-nosed reputation of my medical school, uh, Johns Hopkins, particularly at the time that I was there, I, I was fortunate not to have had that kind of experience. I, my teams were uniformly very supportive, and so that was a good thing. Huh. Well, why don't you go ahead and read the last two paragraphs of your essay, Don? All this has left me wishing I had taken up classical guitar years ago while I was still in the midst of my 37-year career as an attending on inpatient team. I always considered myself a supportive teacher who created a safe learning environment. Evaluations from students and residents suggested that this was true. Yet I did set high standards, one of which was that third-year students on the team were expected from their very first day on the team to present their patients at the bedside from memory. I always praised them after their first presentation and told them that I remembered how hard it was. Though I never realized it, I was lying. By the time I became an attending, my memory of the terror of that first bedside presentation was completely lost to me. My first guitar recital brought it back. 
I know now that there are no easy pieces the first time, no easy challenges when you take the very first step on a brand new road. I know now that each third year student deserved more than a pat on the back and a few words of reassurance after their first presentation. If I had the chance to do it again, I would do better. At the end of rounds, I would take each student aside after their first presentation, one-on-one, -on -one, and describe my own terror and embarrassment all those years ago. I would promise them, from experience, that each presentation would be a little easier than the last, until finally there would be no terror at all. Wow, I love that essay, Don. So I guess this is more of a procedural question. Uh, as I remember being required by my attending on internal medicine when I was a third year student on, 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 on medicine, uh, who by the way wa had gone to Johns Hopkins uh, Medical School and done his residency there as well. But I, he had me present all of my histories and physicals from memory. Uh, but I guess my question for you is this, I guess I should know the answer to this, but why do so many educators require students to present from memory, do you think? For me, there are at least three reasons why I have always done it, in addition to the fact that I was trained that way, so maybe that's part of the reason. But first of all, I, I believe that presenting clearly and concisely from memory is an invaluable skill, and that giving students the opportunity to learn how to do that in a safe environment, it really gives them a leg up on their future. If you think of all the times that we have to quickly communicate about a case to a colleague or a consultant or, uh, you know, a other member of the healthcare team, I, I think it's an incredibly valuable tool. The, the second reason is that I think Presenting from memory forces the presenter to make choices about what is most important to include. And I think as a teacher, you can learn a lot about a student's thought process and clinical reasoning from the choices they make about what to include and what to leave out of an oral presentation from memory. And then last, and I think may, this may be the most important for me personally, I want the bedside presentation to feel like a conversation that includes the patient. I don't want it to be a formal academic exercise. When I do rounds with my team, I make a point of requiring that the presenter stands on the patient's left side and I stand on the patient's right side and we face each other across the patient so that the patient is quite literally at the center of the conversation. And if, if the presenter's face is buried in a note or their write-up, uh, that conversational atmosphere is lost. So I, I think that's probably, for me, the most important. And it sounds like um, the majority of your teaching at University of Rochester was at the bedside? Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. Fascinating. Well, you'll have to give a listen to the Mountain Lion podcast series on <laughs> bedside presentations. You would enjoy it if you haven't already listened to them. I've already listened to a lot of them, but I still have a few more to listen to. I've loved the ones that I've heard so far, though. Excellent. So I know you're Professor Emeritus now at University of Rochester, uh, and we've had the whole COVID pandemic happening over the last few months. 
but have you had the opportunity to hear a first-time student present at the bedside since your guitar recital? I have not. I've not been doing direct patient care since I retired, so I haven't been attending on inpatient services here in Rochester. I have been doing some bedside teaching. Um, I'm on the board of Bassett Medical Center over in Cooperstown, and I was doing bedside presentations with some third-year students over there, but of course that's all derailed by COVID now, and I haven't taught over there since the guitar recital episode. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, which is which is a no. But I, I'd love to get back to doing that with the Bassett student. Well, hopefully they'll be back soon. Uh, any idea when they're coming back? Bassett Medical Student Program is part of Columbia, and Columbia is having their students return, I think, in mid-July. As you can imagine, that's a slow process in New York City. Bassett students spend most of their clinical years in Cooperstown, but they shuttle back and forth between New York and, and Cooperstown. So until everybody starts, nobody's going to start. And I think it's mid-July that they're looking at. Well, I'm sure you're looking forward to getting out there and teaching those, uh, those students over at Bassett. I have to read one more time that last line of the essay. I would promise them from experience that each presentation would be a little easier than the last until finally there would be no terror at all. It's just a, such, such a great concluding sentence. And there's so much in this essay. It's beautifully written and it evoked a lot of memories and emotions for me personally as an educator and as a learner as I read it and subsequently reread it multiple times. Do you have any additional thoughts for our listeners about the essay or even about medical education in general? I guess I would say the main reason that I wrote this and the main lesson that I took away from this experience is how very difficult it is to fully understand how a learner, particularly an early learner, feels in, in the stressful situations that we create for them. And I, I think it's a wake-up call for all of us to understand how fragile they can be. And they'll make every possible effort to hide that from us. Because, you know, stiff upper lip and I want to do my very best. I just think that's a, that's the most important learning point for educators here to open yourself up to to that and I think I think it's easiest to get at that by being sure that you debrief one-on-one -on -one as soon after sentinel events like this as you possibly can while it's fresh in both of your minds. Hmm. That kind of brings to mind a uh podcast I was listening to recently, and it was an interview, uh, I think it was on the Curbsiders podcast with Doug Pau, who's longtime, you, I'm sure you know him well, longtime clerkship director up at UW, I think something like 30 years. And uh, his, his comment was the best advice he ever got was don't try and look good, be good, something like that. But it, uh, it was in its simplicity says a lot about students needing to open up to us a little bit more, but we have, as you said, we have to be sensitive to where they might be 
in the process. Well, Don, it's been uh, really a pleasure to have you on the podcast today on Mountain Lion. And I thank you for joining me, and I hope to see you really soon. Likewise. All right, Don. Well, enjoy the rest of the day, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up soon. For those of you wondering who that is playing that beautiful classical guitar, that is not yet Don Bordley. That is actually the amazing, great guitarist Lyle Scheffler. His first song leading into this podcast was called Fantasia 1A, and to leave this podcast, this is him playing La Cathedral 3, Allegro. Again, that's Lyle Scheffler check out his music. Thanks and have a great day.